So yes, we're on session five of the Bible story, and we can see we've got a lot of books on already. Uh, I would just like to point out that when I did the first session, I had to put books on the whole thingy. Hmm? Oh, I could see that. The corner of my eye was telling you, going, no, what is he talking about? No, that's fine. The offering bag is coming around, by the way. So, I had all the books of all the length of the, this whole shelf to do. Then Claire and Tony have done a few weeks in between, and they've had the odd one or two books to put on. I have now, from here to here today, the rest of the Old Testament. So what is going on with that? Right, story so far. Creation. Okay, so we start off here with creation. We're going to rattle through the story so far. Then we end up with God's covenant with Abraham. I should have tested you on all this, really. I'm not going to. Then the iPad stops working. Excellent. Oh, is that going up there? Brilliant. All oh, right, that's fine then. I'll stay then. So then we've got Joseph ending up down here in Egypt. Then we've got the big rescue and through the Red Sea and all that exciting stuff. Then eventually, after a bit of wandering about, they end up in the promised land. Then we've got the whole cycle of judges and they get in a cycle of getting it wrong and then getting back on track and then getting it wrong again and then getting it back on track again and then getting it wrong again. Sound familiar to anybody? Um, And then we've got David's reign, uh, which was a reign of two halves as we saw last week. So we kind of end up about here. But really what I wanted to say at the very beginning is that there are lots of ups and downs and roundabouts in this whole section so far. And if you look towards the end, you'll see there's lots of ups and downs there as well. It's not been a smooth journey from Genesis to where we've got to, and it's not a smooth journey from where we've got to, to the end. But what is constant, illustrative point, trying to get it straight-ish, I'm going to wrap it round there, there we go, there is God. I've wrapped it around the church, yeah, we don't need that till next week. Um, (laughs) Is God all the way through, no matter how wrong they got it, no matter how bad the circumstances were, God kept going in the straight line and bringing them back to where they were supposed to be. And that just struck me, and it actually came out of the worship a little bit today as well, and hopefully you start to recognize that in your own lives. If you look back, you can see where things have gone really well, you can think where things have not gone so well, sometimes through our own fault, and sometimes through circumstances. But I can say, I look back and say, God was through me and pointing me in the right direction. And you go back and go, oh yeah, no, I have to be naturally. God's been with me all the way through that. So that was just really the point I wanted to make before we got stuck into um, what we're really going to be talking about. Okay. So we end up with, oh, then we've got Solomon. Because Solomon built the temple. Okay. Rich old king, had loads of, uh, um, of money, basically, rebuilt the temple. And he then died, as kings are prone to, well, as anyone's prone to do, I suppose, and his son, um, I can never say his word, Rehoboam, I think, Rehoboam. Anyway, him, he took over. And he went off, um, basically, to state what his kingship was going to be all about, and uh, so the people came to him, and they had been, got pretty fed up, because Solomon, yes, had built this amazing temple, and he had funded it through really high taxes and a lot of hard work. 
So by this point, they were a bit ground down by all of this. So they um, basically rocked up and uh, said, we're a little bit fed up and we don't want any high taxes anymore and we're working a little bit too hard. So could you, as a kind of new, new season, new king, could you make things a little bit easier for us? So his answer was, I'll think about it. Okay, go away, come back in three days. So they trot off, and then, so in the meantime, in these three days, he asks uh, his advisors what to do. So he goes originally, first off, to the advisors that had advised his father. And uh, they basically advised him that it might be a good idea to be favorable to the people and to reduce the taxes, reduce the burden. Um, but he didn't like that answer very much. So he went off and found some new advisors, okay, who were going to give him the right answer. Right. Anyone done that? Yeah? Ask someone's advice, and they go, no, I don't like that answer. I'm going to ask somebody else. Yeah. So anyway, he went off and found some new advisors, and he, he chose people that had grown up with him. So these were the kind of young men who had grown up with him, uh, and they gave him what he viewed as the right answer. As, uh, no, actually, what we should be doing is taxing them even more and working them even harder. Right, okay. So he liked that answer a little bit better. So when they came back, um, he said, uh, no, I'm not going to make things easier for you. I'm going to make things ten times harder, and I'm going to keep taxing you, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that was, that was a bit disastrous as far as the people were concerned. And what they got then is a whole lot of people getting quite stroppy about it and going off. Okay, so the, the country then split, the nation split, and we end up here. There. So we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and that's where things go a bit um, awry. So the northern kingdom was ruled by Jeroboam, whose also name I can never say, um, and that was known as Judah. No, it's not got anything up here. There we go. Is it coming up there? Yeah. So nation splits. And they have their own kings. Okay, so they're going off now on two different tangents. I'm going to give up for this in a minute. I'm going for a new plan. Because I've got a picture and I want to show you my picture. There we go. So the northern kingdom ruled by Jeroboam. And that was uh, known as Israel. And southern kingdom ruled by Rehoboam, and that was known as Judah. All right? Okay? You all right, Andrew? Well, apart from that one, <laughs> I would count that as a special slide, to be honest. But there we go. All right, that's fine. So, what we're going to do is we're going to take the northern kingdom first of all and have a quick look at what happened to them. Now, Jeroboam um, ended up as king of this northern kingdom. So he was a little bit anxious okay, that he was going to be uh, defeated, essentially. So he's kind of branched off and taken a whole load of people with him. And he was a little bit worried. So what he did, first of all, uh, was defense. Okay, So step one, when you're a little bit anxious, what do you do? You put the walls up. Anyone done that? Yeah? <laughs> okay, so he did that. Um, and then he was concerned, and I put it there, he was concerned about worship. Now, actually, I don't think he was particularly. What he was concerned about was the fact that Jerusalem, where the people would have gone to worship, was where? In the south. 
So what he was worried about was the fact that the people would go to Jerusalem to worship and then they would be drawn back and he would lose all of his people and he'd be even more vulnerable. Um, so that was a bit of a problem. So unless you find this in 1 Kings, we're not going to dart around too much of the Bible, but in 1 Kings 12, it says, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if these people go to offer up sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They will give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. So he then sought some advice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to save the people the journey. So that's nice. He's being kind. He's saving the people all that long trek to Jerusalem. You don't need to do that. Okay? He's appearing to be quite kind about it. And he built two places of worship in the north. Okay? Golden calves. I have no idea what they looked like. That's the only picture I could find of a golden calf. So he builds um, two, two places of worship. Um, in the north, so that they don't have to travel back to Jerusalem, and it keeps the people where they, where he feels they need to be. And he creates rituals and celebrations based on the actual Jewish festivals. So they were slightly different, slightly different times, and all of that kind of stuff, and a different focus. And gradually, the people began to worship other things other than God. Okay, they began to worship other. Gods. And I suspect they didn't even notice it was happening. Because they carried on those same traditions and they just slightly got off track. And what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to pull out a couple of things as we kind of go through. And I've got to keep it on time. Um, because I think there are so many bits in this that are relevant to us today. You often, I often think, I hold my hands up, that the Old Testament is a little bit complicated and scary. And generally, if I get a choice, I preach on something from the New Testament because that's less scary. But, um, but there's so much in here that, that does relate to us. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of worshipping stuff that is not God. And often we are not doing that deliberately. We don't go off and say, right, today I'm going to worship something else. Yeah, that's not the decision we make as Christians first thing in the morning. But gradually you start to think other things have come in and taken over that place in my life where God should be. And it's good, and I think it's really good at the end of the year to maybe take stock. I'm not a great believer in New Year's resolutions, largely because I can't keep them beyond the 2nd of January, so what's the point? But it is a good time to reflect and look back and say, okay, this year and maybe over this Christmas season, have other things come in that have taken the place where God should be. And that's what happened to these people. They were there and they just sort of slipped away. So in the two separate kingdoms, we've got two kings and then we have various prophets. So we're going to talk about a lot of prophets um, this week. And each kind of, God sent prophets to both bits, okay? Um, and they had different uh, different prophetic ministries, I guess, in those in those areas. And now when you look at the Bible as well, I mean, you probably all know this because you've all, um, you know, lots of people are very familiar with the Bible. But it's, at this point, I think it's quite difficult to read unless you know how it's kind of structured because all the prophet books are kind of later on. But they relate at the same time as these books here. Okay? So each of the prophets 
with notable exceptions, have their own book, but they are kind of located later on in the Bible, but they actually relate back to here. So, Hosea. So he was up in the north, and he very much used images from family. He used uh, images from nature to, to share what God was speaking through him. And God told him to marry. Okay, so, um, and he, he told him to marry someone, not exactly the best choice, really. Um, if I put these books here, will you remind me that I've put them here so when I go over there to look for them? Because <laughs> I just can't, uh, can't go backwards and forwards. Tells him to marry. Um, and he marries, uh, basically, an adulteress. Um, and his wife was unfaithful, but he was able to use that as a metaphor um, where Israel had been unfaithful and they turned to gods other than God. God said, that, said to Hosea, you need to go and be with your wife again. Um, it says, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man as an, as in, and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods, um, etc., etc. So he was illustrating the point that although the people had turned away, God still loved them. We may have walked way, way, way away from God, but God still loves them and loves us. So that's all right then, isn't it? Because God loves us, so no matter what we've done, it doesn't really matter. Is that what it's saying? No, they don't quite get away with it. But we do still have to face the consequences of our sin, and the people still have to face the consequences of their sin. But through it all, there is love and redemption from God. No matter how far away we think we've walked, or how much bad stuff we think we've done, or even just how much indifference we've had about God, Maybe all the way through our lives, we just think, well, okay, I sort of vaguely know he exists, but, I, you know, whatever. No matter how much indifference we've got, we can't do anything so bad or walk so far away that God won't forgive us if we ask him to. Now, yeah, there may be consequences to stuff that we've done, but God can forgive anything. Okay. So that was kind of the summary of that. We're not going to go through all the books, I promise. And we've got Amos. I'm going to put Amos and Jonah. We're not going to talk about Jonah. Jonah got swallowed by a big fish, went to Nineveh, um, was spewed up on a beach. End. Amos. <laughs> we know that one. Now, Amos wasn't a prophet by profession. Okay? Um, he was a shepherd. Now, Amos was a shepherd from the south. Okay? But God called him to go and be a prophet in the north. Um, so he was very much trusted by God to carry this important message into what could have been quite a hostile environment, um, I guess. And really just the illustration for that is that God could and does use any of us to share about God's word. We might not say, okay, yes, well, I am, I am a prophet or I am a speaker or I am whatever, whatever. I'm just an ordinary person who does an ordinary job in an ordinary place. But God can still use us to go and speak to whoever. And that might be just the person who lives next door, or it might be to some completely 
when I say foreign, I don't mean necessarily physically foreign. I mean just a different culture or environment to where we normally live. So anyway, Amos is sent with, um, with a, a specific message. And the first six chapters are what they call judgment oracles. So they're messages from God. And um, it starts off pretty well for the people. Okay? Because the first few bits, and they, they all start off, thus says the Lord. It's a very prophetic way of starting something. Uh, and they're fairly brief. And they uh, essentially um, bring judgment on Israel's neighbours. So imagine the people of Israel are thinking, ah, yes, always thought they were bad ones. Brilliant. God's confirming that these people are dreadful. Um, and they, you know, basically, God is condemning their neighbours for cruelty and oppression, etc., etc., etc. And then it gets even better because uh, then there's a sort of condemnation against Judah. Uh, and they are held to an even higher standard. They're condemned for rejection of the law of God. So this is brilliant. The people of Israel are like, yes, got this sorted. But Amos has saved the, <laughs> the last point um, because the final judgment that Amos is told to bring is directed at Israel themselves. And it's, it's uh, a pretty harsh one, a long one. You can just imagine them, can't you, sitting there going, oh, yes, yes, knew they were dreadful. Knew they were dreadful. Knew they were dreadful. Oh, yes, definitely, they are dreadful. Oh, now you're talking about us. Oh, whoops. And so he, he goes into quite a lot of detail. Um, uh, you know, oppression, obscenity, ritualistic religion. All pretty harsh stuff. And I think possibly a bit of a wake-up call. If God suddenly starts pointing out all of your misdemeanors, you start to think, maybe I'd better do something about it. So, yeah, they were a little bit shocked, I imagine, when we got to the end. But the second part of Amos, you, you can't just leave it like that. God doesn't just say, right, you have done this, 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 and this wrong. You've hurt me in this, 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 and this way, and these are the things that you need forgiveness for. There is a restoration. So the second half of Amos looks at the restoration. And it says, I, and I will bring my people, Israel, back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. That's in Amos 9. Now, Amos was called to speak up against injustice. That's essentially what his message was. He went to talk against injustice. And I suspect wasn't very popular when he did that. It's not a comfortable message to hear. And I think in today's society, there are people, we are all called to do it to a degree, but there are people who are specifically called to stand up and speak against injustice of varying sorts. And just if you have felt that calling, take courage that, yes, God does want us to speak up for injustice. God does want us to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. But be prepared that you might not be very popular when you're doing it. It's not a popular message to bring, but if God has called you to do it, then God will equip you to do it. God equipped Amos, God will equip us. God's compassion 
is boundless, endless, immense, and it's not limited to just people like us. So, you know, Amos had to go to a different place. He had to talk to people that were not like him. He had to share God's word with people he wasn't comfortable with, not like us. That message is for everybody. Now, Elijah. I feel a bit sorry for Elijah for a number of reasons. Primary reason, pretty good prophet, said quite a lot, doesn't have a book of his own. Other prophets, even the tiny little prophets, have books. Elijah does not. So I think that's a bit sad. When we get to the New Testament, Charlotte's very upset. Why are you upset? (laughs) Very angry. Charlotte's very angry. John's been overbooked, and Elijah doesn't have anyone. Well, no, well, Elijah didn't get a book deal. That was the deal. Anyway, so what Elijah did, he doesn't have a book, but that's not that. His story we find in 1 Kings, okay? So he does it, he's written down. He just doesn't have his own book. He prophesied against King Ahab, who ruled Israel at the time. And they were uh, pagan worship, um, and it really, really, really annoyed King Ahab's wife. She was very, very, very cross, and Jezebel was not a woman to be crossed. So um, it, it all went a little bit scary for a while. Um, so God declared a drought over the land. He was pretty cross with what was going on. They were, um, they were worshipping false gods and right, said, we're going to sort this. So he declared a drought. So there was no water across the land. After the drought, God sent rain. Okay, so uh, Ahab went uh, to where he had a palace, because um, I think he thought probably at that point, that's it, it's all over, everything is fine, all is well, we have the rain, it's all, it's all sorted. Um, Elijah also, also went to the same place, probably thinking, that's it, I'm done, the, the fight with Baal is, is over. But then Jezebel threatened to kill him. And like I say, she was a pretty mean woman. You don't want to get on the wrong side of her. Um, So what Elijah did was he ran away. (laughs) Probably a fairly safe move, to be honest, at the moment. He ran away, and um, he had a bit of a meltdown, to be honest. Anyone ever felt so overwhelmed with everything that actually sitting in a cave and hiding um, is quite an attractive proposition? (laughs) Yes. So that's what he did. He went away and hid in a cave, um, and had a little bit of a breakdown to the point where he was begging God for death. But God, God looked after him. I was going to say God dealt with him, but that's not true. God looked after him and essentially said, and Charlotte, where's that meme you sent me, Charlotte? Because it just made me chuckle. Because I think it summed it up really well. I don't really know what a meme is, but Charlotte sent me one. Here we go. Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad, I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept, ate, and decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. (laughs) (laughs) And we can all say amen to that. The point being, it's very spiritual, yeah. The point being that God didn't say, 
get up, I'm with you, come on, let's get moving again, you've got a long way to go. He said, no, yes, you have got a long way to go, but you're going to need some rest and you're going to need some food before you go. And that, to me, just speaks volumes about God's kind and sensitive nature. And also the fact that God still wanted to use him. I think sometimes when we've got to that point where we've hidden in a cave, metaphorical cave probably, and you think, well, I, you know, I've just messed up so badly, you know, I'm so frightened, I can't do any more, I'm, I'm no use to God whatsoever, God will say, come on, have a rest, let's get back on it again, and yeah, I will still use you. So just if you feel that you've got to a point where God can't use you anymore. You know, maybe you know, you've done some stuff and now you just, oh, I'm done, I'm done. I can't do any more. Just maybe God is saying, have a rest, have a snack, and then I will still use you. We'll carry on and we'll do something else. So that kind of is uh, where we end up. Um, after all these warnings from prophets about what was going to happen, it did happen. And the Assyrians came in, they were a nasty bunch, and they basically conquered the northern tribes, and they were the consequences that they had to face, that they hadn't listened to God's warnings and turned back to him. They mixed up all of the Assyrians were kind of nasty, like I say, mixed up the ethnic groups. Everybody was mixed up with other people, and they're essentially, their identity dissolved. Okay, that was, that was the end of that. So we kind of come to a bit of a block at that point. And then we get the southern kingdom, and we see where that goes. What time is it? I've got time to do the southern kingdom. That's fine. And we look at the southern kingdom in three kind of phases. So phase one is before the exile. We'll talk about that in a second. Phase two is when they were in exile. And then phase three is after the exile. It's fairly fairly straightforward, really. (laughs) Before, during, and after. And this leads us up to the end of the Old Testament. And it leads us very nicely to the beginning of the New Testament and this. Now, when we built this, ready for yesterday, it's like, oh, we're going to be a bit full at the front here. (laughs) But actually, I'm really glad it's here, and I was almost tempted to move it so that the kind of stable ended up in the right place. (laughs) But I decided that maybe that wasn't a very good idea. So it's where it is. But, yeah, by the time we get to the end of this morning, we will be anticipating baby Jesus in the stable. So before they get to the exile, um, King Hezekiah uh, is kind of where we are. Don't worry too much about the, the timings of it. And he's fortified Jerusalem. He's repaired the broken sections of the wall. He's equipped his armies. And, importantly, he's redirected the flow of a spring into the city. And then he basically sits and he prays to God for deliverance. Now, the bit, uh, his actual prayer is um, in two kings rather than chronicles, which is kind of where we are. And he prays to God. And Isaiah comes along. And he kind of stands with him. He says, just keep going. You're going to survive this, effectively. You are going to get through this. And he encouraged Hezekiah not 
to give up. And they did survive. And they survived primarily because the water source, they managed to, although the city was under siege, they still had water through the tunnel. Um, and you can actually, there is the tunnel. They found the tunnels. Um, and you can actually walk through them um, and kind of see that that must, yeah, that would be amazing. But the key thing is, God sent someone to walk alongside Hezekiah when he was calling out for help. He sent along a prophet who said, yeah, just come on, keep going, keep praying, keep going. It's going to be okay. And are we being asked to walk alongside someone? Sometimes God restores us and helps us and guides us from within. And sometimes he helps us and restores us and guides us through somebody else. So it might be that actually you need to reach out to somebody else, because if you're like me, you're not very good at saying, help, I'm struggling. But it might be that you're being asked to be that person, to walk alongside somebody for them, and actually almost hold their faith for them while they walk through a really difficult time. And that's kind of what Isaiah did at this point. And yeah, I think sometimes you just need to have faith for, for other people. And tell them that you are holding that faith for, other, for them um, to help them through. Now, if you were in the church this time last year, should I put any more books on? I'm going to put some more books on. Wait a minute. I'm going to put all of these ones on because it will save me running up and down. Where am I going? I'm going there. I'm going there. I've got my little crib sheet. I think I could probably put them about there. There we go. There is profits that are happening around this time. Um, so if you were around the church this time last year, we were doing a series uh, on Old Testament prophecies and how they were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And there are so many. Now, we did a series of about four weeks, I think it was, on all of these prophecies and how they were fulfilled through the birth of Jesus. Very cleverly titled, Back to the Future. I did like that title. But essentially, and don't worry too much about that, when you go through the Bible course, you'll be able to go to this and to kind of more depth, but it breaks down the book of Isaiah and where a lot of these prophecies um, are held. And effectively, what Isaiah was prophesying about was the coming Messiah, i.e. Jesus, and global restoration. Now, we have an advantage, okay? (laughs) We know what happened, um, and we know that Jesus was, in fact, born. Um, and actually, I have to say, yesterday, talking to the kids as they were doing the Nativity Trail, I was really pleased that every child I spoke to knew that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and in a stable. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like, okay, it's not completely lost. And yeah, that was, that was really nice. Andrew was very cross. He got called a shepherd a few times. It was categorically Joseph and not a shepherd, but apart from that. Okay. So many of those prophecies were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Prophecies that maybe there are still some to be fulfilled. We haven't got to the point where we see that full, complete restoration back to God. That's what we're still waiting on. But doesn't that give us hope? In that so many of them were fulfilled, so therefore if they're fulfilled, then we can have that hope that it's all coming at the end. Anyway, it wasn't all great. Okay, So we've got to this point, we're kind of trotting along the southern kingdom, and then King Nebuchadnezzar, great word, great name, wanted to call Andrew Nebuchadnezzar, but Brian wouldn't let me. Um, <laughs> just because it's a great word, it'd be awful to spell. <laughs> oh. 
Um, so he conquered Jerusalem and basically exiled the people uh, to Babylon. It's about 500 miles to Babylon, and they had to walk there. So not only have they been exiled, they also have to walk 500 miles to get there. That's adds insult to injury, isn't it? <laughs> um, and hopefully we know, let's just bring this up, one of, these, uh, one of these people that were exiled was a young man called Daniel. And he, uh, Daniel's just amazing. He was in this foreign place, with foreign cultures and anti-God environment, effectively, and he managed to live a faithful life. He did not sway from his beliefs in God. He refused to pray to anything, anyone other than God. He just lived exactly how he was. He got himself in trouble a little bit, but um, he lived that faithful life. He was a young man. He wasn't anything special, really. He was just a young man who stuck true to his beliefs. Really important. So it is possible to stick true to our beliefs, even if we feel we're in an almost like an alien environment. It might be at work or college or school or wherever we are, but actually you maybe we're almost kind of waving the lone flag for Jesus a bit, and there's no one else around that really has any idea what we're talking about or why we believe in what we believe in. But it, it is possible to still maintain that faith in God. So let me put my examples away. So here we go. Move my crib sheet up a bit. So in exile, and they were, they were actually kind of uh, not very happy. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a particularly happy time, and that's where the book of Lamentations comes from. They're sort of lamenting their kind of dreadful circumstances. But God, he's still carrying along on the nice red line. He's still sticking true to his promises right from the very beginning. Even though they felt they were completely out of the way and possibly felt they'd been forgotten by God a little bit, um, he was still keeping along the same track. Anyway, in 538 BC, they were allowed to go home. I'm kind of assuming they didn't put on a bus. I'm assuming they had to walk the 500 miles back again, but um, I don't know. And they set about, oops, they set about a lot of rebuilding. Now, when we've been off track with God a bit, and we come back, Sometimes there is rebuilding to do. Sometimes there are things that we have to learn again. Sometimes there are bits of our lives we have to put back together. Um, and that's kind of what they did. They rebuilt the temple, and they rebuilt the city walls over, not just like in a, in a year, it was over a number of um, time. And there were prophets around that time that were encouraging them, encouraging them to build the temple. Nehemiah brought resources and rebuilt, the, you know, rebuilt Jerusalem. And basically, they restored the nation back to God. They restored the spiritual life. I'll just stick all these on. Let's put them there. Dan, do you want to come up for a second? Just while I'm finishing off. So we get to the end of the Old Testament, Israel are back in the Promised Land, Jerusalem 
and the temple have been rebuilt. But there are a number of prophecies that remain unfulfilled at that point. So there are a number of things that that have happened, as, as God has said they would, so they're back to where they were, everything's being rebuilt. But if we look at Malachi, Malachi 3 verse 1, and it's up there, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Get to the end of the Old Testament, and God is still saying, that is not the end. I have more to come. I have, a, I have more of my plan still to show you. And effectively, God is going to start writing himself into this story through the birth of Jesus. Nothing comes as a surprise to God. Right from here, when everything went wrong in the Garden of Eden, he knew what was going to happen down there. You know, it's a relatively small distance. We're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that are working their way through. The people tried to sort it out themselves several times, got it wrong several times. I've tried to sort things out in my life myself many times and got it wrong many times. But God is following that line all the way through. God is in control completely all the way through. So I'm going to ask these guys to do in control again. Um, and then we'll close.